0: High School Slumber Party AP is a Cage Club podcast network production. For all things Cage Club and High School Slumber Party, head over to cageclub.me. That's Cage club-
1: Welcome slumberers We take their studies a little more seriously. I'm Brian Rodriguez.
0: And I'm Island Addington. And this is High School Slumber Party, A.P., a study session in contemporary teen films.
1: And your assignment today was to watch Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And we have a guest today, Island, don't we?
0: We do. I am so excited to have had the opportunity to discuss this classic and contemporary uh piece of art uh, with Derek Heckman. Derek is a, a teacher an educator as well as an author. And it was a ton of fun to talk about this movie with Derek.
1: Yeah. Uh, full disclosure. We had a blast. I, I think, you know, he's one of the best guests we've ever had on AP, not to rank them. I, I don't want to rank them, but like just, I guess his milieu fit in so much, with what we do here on AP, and specifically with this film, uh, Are You There God? It's Me, Margaret. Uh, so, you know, can't wait for you to hear that today. But first, of course, we have some homework to discuss.
0: Absolutely. Have you subscribed to High School Summer Party yet? Please hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Maybe Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and... If you're like me, you may have gotten a uh, (laughs) notice today that Stitcher Premium is, or Stitcher itself, is closing doors. So uh, next time you hear this introduction, uh, sometime in the future, I might have to put up some other ones because uh, Stitcher is no longer going to be. And that, that bums me out, but that's a conversation for a different day.
1: Yeah, as soon as you said it, I was like, "Oh wait, didn't I read about Stitcher today?" R.I.P. Wow. Well,
2: R.I.P.
1: If you still can hear it on Stitcher somehow, you're welcome too. But if not, Island, thank you for listing other places that this can be found. And uh, another place.
0: That's my homework.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and of course, class participation still a huge part of your grade. Follow High School Slumber Party Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. While they still exist, and their existence is tenuous <laughs> as well. So who knows. Before we get into today's episode, I did want to share a couple of uh, things that I've been thinking about, things I've been up to in regards to modern teen films. We just released an episode, or sort of concurrently here, on the regular feed of High School Slumber Party on the new Spider-Man film, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And not so much AP sort of film, I mean, we might talk about it in our year-end roundup, Sure. But I did want to bring it up because um, these Spider films are awesome. I'm not the biggest animated film person, and yes, I do watch Marvel films. I I don't think I am the biggest Marvel film compared uh, Marvel mm-hmm. film fan compared to a lot of other people I know. I still would put myself in the fan category, regardless. Um, I think it was last year or the year before we did a whole Spider Man run on the regular High School Slumber Party feed. That's the first yeah. time I saw. Uh, the first Spider Verse film, and I didn't know what I was expecting in a sequel. I really enjoyed that first one, but Isen, I tell you, I was emotional watching this film. I was wow, so like into it. It's just one. It's nice to see films that that are just pieces of art like this. So many of our um, animated films, right? Uh, don't utilize as many artists as Spider Verse did. I think it was the longest American made animated film ever. It's like an hour, uh, two hours and 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Bree- breezed by, so interesting. And I really brought it up today, not just to plug the episode, but God, representation is so important. Representation matters. Uh, the character of Miles Morales, um, he is an Afro Latin kid growing up in Brooklyn, and, you know, Growing up as a Latin person myself, I did not know what I was missing, I guess you could say, right? Like, I would watch oh. these superhero films, have fun, have a, have a good time. But sitting in the theater and watching this Miles Morales character, and a, a line that just really got to me is that, um, so they're in school, his parents and him, He uh, Miles is a teenager, and they're meeting with their guidance counselor, and the guidance counselor is running through their uh, his grades. And his mother um, is Puerto Rican, and they're like, "Oh, he's getting an A in science, an A in this Spanish B," and his mother starts freaking out. And it's just like again, <laughs> super relatable to me, super awesome uh, to see. And that you know that was one piece of representation. And the other part that I shared on the episode is that um, this Spider Gwen, the Gwyn Stacy character she is like the co-lead here and she's just so cool and again growing up i never and i would say most of america never really saw young women superheroes uh we're we're getting so many more now but just to watch a movie led by these two sort of uh individuals that were marginalized previously and not and this is something again i shared in the episode it didn't feel token a lot of that had felt Mm -hmm. token in the past
0: Right. There's a difference between representation and tokenism for sure. So I'm glad you mentioned that.
1: Yeah. And I don't know, like, again, I didn't know what my expectations were. I was really watching the movie for the pod and I came out of there and I can't stop talking about this movie and how it made me feel. And again, I I enjoyed it as an adult, but I wish I was a kid and I was able to see that film. So just wanted to shout it out here that like, you know, even in the big genres, like Marvel and superhero movies, I feel like things are moving in a direction that makes me happy.
0: That's awesome.
1: So while I was in there, two other animated films that had teenage subjects this year that I really want to bring up. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for this one, but have you heard or seen the trailer for Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken?
0: I became aware of it yesterday. So the timing is, <laughs> is excellent. It was just a quick teaser. Uh... I think, when I was watching something on Peacock. But it, uh, you know, gave me a giggle, but I also sort of don't understand.
1: I don't know. Um, Like, you know, like I said, full disclosure, I don't go to the theater to watch a lot of these animated films. Maybe I'll watch this one. uh, Probably more. I'll probably watch it on demand. But it is interesting that, Look, it has Teenage in the title. We have to cover it on our wrap-up. Maybe we'll get to it then. That
0: is the rule.
1: <laughs> uh, so just want to shout that one out. And also, another one with Teenage in the title, the the trailer ran through Spider-Verse, and I guess it's important to us. It is the new animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And Seth Rogen is the brainchild behind this one. We know Seth Rogen. We've mentioned him a lot here. We have. I just find it so interesting that this this dude has complained about teen films for the last year and a half, two years, and yet he's made one where he claims is this is going to be the most teenage-oriented Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle film of all time. Color Me Curious. Yeah. I hope it's great. I don't know, but uh <laughs> should be interesting. Just wanted to get that on the AP radar because I feel like we talk, talk Seth Rogen a lot.
2: It's
0: true. We sort of owe it to him to uh, comment. The whole
1: genre owes it to him, according to him.
0: Well, you learned a lot in, um, you know, your recent theater experience, it sounds like.
1: Yes, my 11 o'clock showing of Across the Spider-Verse Alone. I did learn a lot. (laughs) Oh man! But today, of course, we are talking a, a different sort of adapted teen film. We are talking a classic, a Judy Bloom classic. Oh, I forgot about this note, Iceland. I've been waiting to share this with you.
0: I'm so excited.
1: Okay, this is so random, but about a month ago, I went and visited. Uh, who was? It doesn't matter, right? I was in southern New Jersey, making my way up. Hi. It was a late night. I was making my way back to my New York City home. I was tired. I needed to go to the bathroom. I pulled over to a random rest stop, and it was the Judy Bloom service area. So,
0: what are you talking about?
1: In New Jersey, they have okay. renamed, and, and I, I grew up in New Jersey. I shouldn't say they. Uh, I was born in New York, lived in New Jersey, though, for my formative years. Uh, they have named all their rest stops after famous New Jerseyans including one of my favorites in Park Ridge, new jersey the james gandolfini rest stop there's the john bon jovi rest stop
0: oh my gosh that is kind of <laughs> adorable it,
1: it's funny look it up um i wish i had the list handy but there's some hilarious ones like there's some like oh colonial guy that you know and then there's like oh that's cool this person's from new jersey i did not realize
0: is there a michelle michelle Visage one? I
1: don't, oh, i wish <laughs> let me see i have to i have to look out regardless I'm like, oh, this is coincidental. We're going to talk this movie. uh, We're going to talk Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret soon. And I'll post it on social media. All over the rest stop are quotes by Judy Bloom and pictures of Judy Bloom. And there's a wall of like, I believe it's a first edition. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. And all this like Judy Bloom memorabilia. You just never know what you expect when you pull over at a rest stop in New Jersey. So had to shout it out. Again, I'll, I'll share the photos on social media. And good for Judy.
2: That's pretty cool.
1: She gets a film adapted and a rest stop named after her.
2: Lucky lady. <laughs>
0: oh goodness! All right. Before we yeah, talk, yeah,
1: before we talk to your friend Derek here, why don't you read the summary, Island?
0: Happy to. Eleven-year-old Margaret moves to a new town and starts to contemplate everything about life, friendship, and adolescence.
1: Great, perfect, short, succinct, perfect little way to uh, invite Derek on. So. Let's do it.
2: Billy Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. When they gather round and started talking, cousin Billy would take me a walkin'. Out through the backyard we go walkin'. Then he'd look into my eyes. Lord knows the. Tonight- the only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man the only boy who could ever
0: teach me the right. yes man. absolutely we have a fantastic guest today um Derek Heckman welcome
3: thanks so much for having me so happy to be here
0: we are so happy to have you and as we were planning for this episode my not, I don't want to say pitch because it wasn't like there was any resistance, but my suggestion of having you as our guest was that you um, were a, a YA expert and, you know, noteworthy author of sad teen stories.
2: very true. Yep.
0: Right? Okay. So um, can you add a little bit more to that for us? Again, I we met at your master's thesis reading.
1: That doesn't surprise me, by the way, Aislinn.
0: <laughs> um, so kind of in addition to your expertise in YA and, and sad teens, what else are you up to? Can you fill in the blanks Yeah, for yeah.
3: So, um, I'm a, I'm a writer. I, I have my MFA. They let me, they let me pass after the reading. Um, and yeah, I, I have some, uh, <laughs> I have some stories out there. Some about, about, uh, very sad teens dealing with their very sad uh, problems I'm working at a, on a book uh, about the same uh, topic and yeah I am also uh, a teacher which I think gives a little bit of uh, you know relevance to to my being on on in this conversation that's Absolutely. how I keep the lights on but yeah I do uh, tend to read a lot or you know consume a lot of like movies or other uh, content about uh, teens and their problems um, tends to be uh, something I, I I like so very excited to be here talking today,
0: yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't that, um, and w- I know we'll get into our histories with this particular content, it wasn't that I necessarily categorized this as a, a sad teen in particular, but because the source material, the book, is such kind of a classic in the YA genre. In fact, I don't even know, I, I it's one of my questions for you, Derek, was, was in YA genre at the time, but certainly Judy Bloom is like the puberty book expert or puberty novel expert, and so I was interested in kind of the his historical piece and um, how it relates back to contemporary YA, which is now like a phenomenon. Yeah,
3: absolutely. You know, I don't, I don't know that I can give a whole lot of context for the book itself, other than just knowing Judy Bloom as you know. A a queen among queens, Judy Judy Bloom and uh, Beverly Clary, like like two um, real heavy hitters from from early on.
0: Although, honestly, if you're interested in boners, (laughs) there's a clear winner and a not right. Like, and I'm sorry to interrupt you as you're trying to answer (laughs) my question, but like Judy Bloom, in my growing up, was like, here's the book if you want, like, like the.
2: The, the real real wing yeah. information. Right?
0: Um, so sorry, but yeah, was it was YA a thing when they were writing it? Or do you know kind no, of I I of shouldn't
3: it? I, I shouldn't think so. Like YA as like a like a term or like a sort of like marketing genre I think came about like more recently. Like when I was in high school, which is like um two thousand eight, two thousand nine, like that's when I started and dating myself there, um, started uh, hear, hearing that term more regularly, and I think it was when books in that genre were being, um, you know, kind of kind of pushed at our at our age group. More. Developed really mm-hmm. and quickly, and I think yeah. had this kind of big explosion then. But obviously, people have like always been writing books like aimed at kids or like a, like about kids, whether or not it has sort of gotten that that YA label. Um, and I think middle grade fiction, um, has also, you know, had a, had a long and, you know, uh, storied career of people writing really books that I, I, I think some of the the most like interesting and like sometimes emotionally devastating work is being done in like the middle grade kind of early YA genre. Um, and Mm they are also, those are just the books that like. I think when you read them, because of the time that you read them, whatever they're dealing with, they tend to be the books that like stay with you and really become like a like a big part of you. So I think those yeah. books have always been um, important to to people.
1: Yeah, and I just want to address that for those of you listening. You're like high school slumber party. Margaret's not in high school. Occasionally, <laughs> we do dip down into the middle school grades when we find a piece of work that we feel is important and formative, and this is certainly. Uh, coming of age. And just to echo what you just said, Derek, right? Like there's so much good stuff, juicy stuff that happens to you before high school. So uh, I'm excited to talk about, uh, you know, the middle school years. There's tough times.
3: There's lots to sort out. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, you, you both said it like certainly formative. We'll get into it a little bit more, but yes, there there are things that have stuck with me since I read this book. And things I completely forgot. So, um, so yeah, thank you so much, Derek, for being with us. And yeah, this is such a AP being the wing of high school slumber party that is contemporary. It's such kind of a funny juxtaposition because the story and like the legend of it are not are, are much more on the nostalgic side. But it has not been developed to film until now. Is that correct, Brian?
1: Uh, From my research, that's what it seemed like. I I might need to do a deep dive further on that, but it's funny. Judy Bloom wrote so many books, and not too many have been adapted into film. I saw some TV shows, uh, you know, something here and there, but this people were very excited about this because it had the, you know, the full Judy Bloom blessing. I don't know if you caught her brief cameo in the movie.
0: Oh, I did not.
1: She was like walking a dog with another gentleman. I'm not sure who he was, but just. If you know what she looks like, then like you probably caught it, and if not, you probably missed it because it was, you know, uh, only brief. But people were very excited that this one was coming out because it was like a really important book for a lot of people, obviously. And Isla, you said you read it. I read it as well. Uh, Derek, had, have you? Had you read I have this one? not read it. This is a big,
3: uh, big blind spot. for you. Oh wow! No, it's funny. Um, when I would have sort of read more Judy Bloom in that sort of like uh, middle middle school years I was not a huge reader I really didn't become like a reader until I was in in high school Um, so I read some of her stuff but like a lot of it um, really passed me by but I have always known about this book I you know you mentioned the the legend of of this book and I think it that sort of came to me like weirdly enough through my mom who was never a person that I like saw like reading a book or like liked to talk about books. I didn't I didn't grow up in like a house with a lot of books, but at some point like this book came up. I, I must have been like in, in middle school. And she just like lit up telling me about this book and telling like wow how important it had been and talking to me about like her and her friends like sneaking around to read it Um, because it was like very controversial especially my mom grew up in like a very small town in in central Illinois okay so it really meant a like I think meant a lot to her and hearing her talk about it was one of those first big like oh my mom's a person moments you know so it's sort of always
2: those are important important moments moments. so
3: it's always sort of had that I don't know not not mystique but like Spe- like something special like associated with it to me
1: yeah that's awesome like i I read it independently and I think I was in late high school or college and I sort of just read it for fun because it was famous um we covered another judy Bloom book tales of the fourth grade nothing instead and I remember I asked the teacher about this once and I'm like oh isn't it why is this the judy Bloom book we covered and Again, this is just this was just his speculation, but he was like, yeah, that book is more or less controversial, if you will. Like uh, this book has always been like when I say this book, I mean, are you are you there? God, it's me. Margaret has always been a girl's book. Right. And I know girls books often don't get taught in school Mm -hmm. like that, Uh, Mm -hmm. at least at the time, at least when I was growing up. I can't speak for now. I'm obviously not in school. So this is not knocking Tales of a Fourth Grade nothing, but I do recall it being pretty non-controversial, if you will.
0: A little more benign.
1: Yeah. So I didn't really recall too much from this book on my first read. And I'm not that kind of reader. I'm kind of surprised I actually did read it. But I sort of knew the highlights. So when they came up in the film, you know, I was pretty excited about them and and just excited to watch this film just because, again, uh, the the mystique Mm -hmm. around it. Did you, Eisen like this book growing up?
0: You know, to be honest with you, um, I, so I, I grew up in a household where reading was like very much a, a kind of a part of the culture and encouraged, is what I want to say. And um, uh, my mom was a, a, an elementary school teacher and uh, there was a particular like book, sh- kind of book shop owner, but also... Um, I almost want to say like dealer in terms of like connecting books with schools, you know, that's what I, I mean um, like not, it wasn't a full retail shop. So I But every, I want to say maybe about annually for a few years, she would take me to this um, like booksellers kind of basement sort of place and walk through and she would be like, okay, this one is about this and this or this one's about this. And like, I would get to pick like a pile of books to take out kind of thing and so you know there were a lot of books and uh my mom is is very judgy i say this to her face so for instance like goosebumps <laughs> was not allowed um babysitters club was allowed but only like every third book oh there was there was uh, in quote some quality control <laughs> all that to say and my, and my mom was the one who said like Judy Bloom is like the sexy kid books or sexy kids books or whatever. Like they deal with sexuality, right? And I forget the one. There's one in particular that has more like – that is the more boy book, like uh, uh, Wet Dreams and Boners. And I f- it might – I don't know. If I think it, I that's the title, Island, isn't <laughs> it? That's a <not> classic. <laughs>
2: <essay. Yeah>.
0: um, <laughs> because I don't know if that's the one. But in any case, there's kind of like the boy one from my mom's perspective and the girl one. And that's right there. That's me, Margaret. So she gave it to me because it was a classic and because it was reading was part of our culture. Um, I remember reading it at that time. I like to sit, there was a, an old style kind of like, not, not a, um, not a lazy boy chair for TV, but like upright upholstered chair in like formal, Um, living room that was at an angle. And so I would sit behind it in like a little corner and read. And so I remember sitting there and reading it. And I remember thinking it was a little bit corny uh, because I was, you know, kind of at that age, but I was at that age at at a later time. And also I didn't understand, and this is what came flooding back to me. I did not understand these young girls obsession with getting their period in that they they as a as a kind of um, badge of honor and like a stepping stone and wanting it like I was much more in the other camp of like why do I have to deal with this and why does not everyone have to deal with this and this is ridiculous and this has nothing to do with my life as a 12 or 13 year old why can't that happen when I'm 20 you know like it just so I was reading it like what what? And then maybe I'm wrong, but I have a very specific memory of they changed something. <laughs> so stupid. but like um, my memory is that when they went and purchased sanitary napkins or pads, that that was at the time when like you wore a belt, like it was just like a strap that went around and like hooked it to this this little strap thing. Oof. Like it was a whole system. It wasn't like sticky to the underwear. <laughs> God, I'm glad I had a drink before we did this. And so that was also very, to me, that dated it for me, which is watching it. I wondered, I wonder if they changed that because that maybe that dates it for other people of removing the experience from my experience, full disclosure, did not have a belt. And so I remember that being weird. And then I remembered the period and the breasts. I did not remember any of the religion pieces which arguably is what the film is about.
1: I didn't remember that either, to be fair. so Okay,
0: great. I'm glad I'm not alone. So <laughs> that's the part I'm super interested in talking about because that's the part that was so impactful in my middle-aged viewing of it. But yes, I read it. I did not share their enthusiasm about getting their period. <laughs> um, I was also not in a culture that shared that with other... Uh, burgeoning young women. So um, it was just very, very different. Brian, tell me your experience reading this and how did it work?
1: <laughs> like I said, I don't remember much about reading it. So um, this definitely wasn't formative literature for me again, especially from when I read it. And I was always more about films than than books. I was trying to think like, what were the formative books for me? And unfortunately, I don't really have a list there.
0: That's a good conversation, though. I'm so sorry. Can we take a sidestep? Because I'm curious from Derek. Like, if I had to pick my This Is My Middle Year book, it would be Stepping on the Cracks? I don't know that one. Okay, I'm going to look up the author while you tell me. Oh, mine
3: is absolutely The Giver. The Giver. That's a good one. In addition to being, like, just an all-time, like, great, story like an incredible introduction to like sci-fi and dystopia it is also weirdly one of the first books I can remember like being about sex or sexuality because there is a scene where uh the main character like has a sex dream and like I think he has Mm. to like it's their like culture and their little future world to like like share that at like the breakfast table um and I just remember like yeah, like, yeah, it's very European. Um, and I just remember being like so relieved when I read that. Like, oh shit, it's not, it's not just me having a dream.
2: Gotcha, um, yeah, that's a universal. Yeah, so that yeah. was a,
3: a really big book for me when I was that age. Darn it. I,
1: I know I have one. I, I have to think about it. I
0: know. It. I'm sorry I snuck that one up on you. Just, uh, just for reference, Stepping in the Cracks was by Mary Downing Hahn. And I read a ton of her books. I, I yeah, I think she's an outstanding middle grade author, I would say, particularly for female driven stories. But anyway.
1: Now, Derek, it's your first time on High School Slumber Party. Did you have films that were formative for you growing up or or teen films? And are, do you have any any favorites? Because again, I think a lot of people I would say more adults than kids were looking forward to this adaptation today. So just curious what your I guess film favorites are in this genre.
3: Yeah, of uh, sort of classics. I think I was gonna I was gonna bring this up a little a little later. Maybe we maybe we can talk about it later. Um, but definitely, uh, The Sandlot. I think is huge, yeah, huge a movie life. that I watched a lot when I was a kid. I Think it has. Well, I, I, as, as I said, I think we'll talk about it later. But I think it has uh, kind of kind of a few things in common with this with this movie, and I think they they might pair well together. Ooh.
1: Someone did their homework.
3: (laughs) I I read this enough. I read the outline. Um, (laughs) And uh, not a not a teen movie, um, but one of the first movies I can remember like really, really liking uh, was The Princess Bride, and we watched it like one day in summer camp. And I was even like, I don't think I realized like what it was like going into it, but it was just like I didn't know movies could be like this. This is so fun. That's awesome.
1: Love hearing that. What a classic. Uh, So on AP, we talk a lot about basically in 2023 or a modern film, sort of how they are distributed, right? So like, you know, when we were all growing up and for most of the existence of film, I'd say, right, you went to the theater and then, you know, for, I guess, half the existence of film, they would release it on VHS or DVD. It might, you might catch it on TV. um, And that was that. Post, or I'll say you know, uh, post the shutdown, really, a lot of films, and most teen films, would either go straight to streaming or have a limited release and then be streaming. Are You There, God Is Me, Margaret did get a release. It was pretty limited. It still hasn't made its money back, I think $30 million budget, $20 million in the theater. But I, I believe from the marketing campaign that wasn't necessarily their intention. Uh, it's on VOD now, which I think is a month after the official wide you know, limited release. By the way, I, I apologize that it was like 20 bucks. I did not realize it was going to be that much. So it was like the price or more of going to the theater. Judy (laughs) bloom
0: deserves it.
1: Good point. Good point. All the flowers to Judy bloom. I hope she got, she got a good cut for this one. So, um, where did you guys catch it? By the way, I I rented it off YouTube.
3: I went to see it, uh, at the theater. I have a theater up the street from my house. Always, uh, will do that if I have the chance. Kind of a a, a funny circumstance. Is I was I was supposed to go see it with my partner Grace, but she was feeling very sick that day, so I just you know, thirty one year old man went to go catch a showing <laughs> of Are You There God? It's me Margaret by myself.
1: Welcome to my yeah. world, Derek.
0: Also, and and thank you very much.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yes. and uh, I had but me and all the moms had just a blast. What? <laughs> That's awesome.
1: I laugh so much because I've definitely been there and I've, I've definitely caught the 10am uh, showing of some of these modern teen films too and uh, oh, hello. moms and kids yeah. uh. I
0: love a 10am showing that's, 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 that's sweet but, um I will be fully transparent I am not yet very comfortable going back to the movie theater I just I I hadn't done it for a long time I, I have gone to a couple but um. Uh, between the timing of things and I, I had some a, a work trip coming up, so I purchased it, happily purchased it. Again, give give Judy what she deserves on Amazon Prime.
1: Gotcha, yeah, and it's available everywhere if you want to rent it or get watch it in the theater. This definitely feels like more of a, a slow burn film, mm-hmm. uh, so there's not a lot of um. Like cultural feedback right now in, in regarding this. You know, we, we tend to discuss that a lot, but I don't see people online, and not that I follow too many middle schoolers online, to be honest, but like, oh, that guy was cute or this is that. Like, not that kind of movie, I feel like.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so I uh, wanted to get into the production a bit as I was excited about this movie for a uh, number of reasons, but one of them was uh, one of my favorite modern teen films, Edge of 17, which came out in uh, 2016, was directed and written by today's director, Kelly Freeman Craig. Uh, this is her directorial follow-up, so it's taken a while, and I, I was waiting for this. Like, this is why I do the podcast. Were either of you uh, familiar with her or had you seen Edge of 17?
0: Yes, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't love it as much as you do and as my brother Tobin does, but when I put it together, that because I looked it up... Um, In preparation for this, who directed this? That made me very excited in because it's um what do I say? The quality of direction is not it just it just wasn't exactly my cup of tea. So I was I was super excited. I was excited for her next feature to be such a kind of cultural moment. I mean, I I understand there's not uh, young people feedback yet, but kind of on the other end of it, right? Is it Netflix or is it Amazon that has the Judy Bloom documentary
2: mm-hmm.
0: that came out just prior to this? And as I do sometimes sit and watch Entertainment Tonight, do 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 um, <laughs> with my mom, they were covering the Judy like the Judy Bloom legacy and all that. So I feel like, yeah, what a what a great next and and also kind of parallel. Um, film that way. But yeah, Dirk, are you at Edge of Seventeen I am not,
3: though. It seems by every metric like something I should have seen. I just, like, it just missed me uh, somehow. Um, But I did hear uh, Kelly Freeman Craig on another podcast uh, promoting this movie, and she seems like a really wonderful person and a very uh, talented director with a lot of, like, great thoughts on uh, making movies and directing kids. She She just seems really really bright and really interesting and i'm excited that she uh is making movies right now
1: yeah for sure also want to shout out uh james l brooks who's the lead producer on this you know just legend
3: did did it throw anybody else off that the the gracie like was at the beginning of this movie as opposed to was just gonna mention that yeah
2: (laughs)
1: I think a, a lot of sitcom junkies like me are familiar with that. Just little tagger at the end, right there.
0: Yeah, I, I clicked on the screen just to make sure I was <laughs> in the right place.
1: Um, he actually also pro- uh, produced uh, Edge of Seventeen, and um, from what I was reading, was really like the tandem of James L. Brooks and the director were very instrumental in getting Judy Bloom to sign over the uh, the official rights for this film adaptation. Oh,
0: I was going to ask about that because it's been such a distance in time and we've seen other kind of classics adapted. I'm thinking about the ways we've seen like Ramona and Beezas as a, I don't know, it's not the same time, but in my mind, it's also kind of a, a different era. Um, I had another example that I've lost, but can you, Um, I didn't look it up. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about how we got to this place and, and kind of Judy's decisions to allow adaptation or not.
1: I I didn't gather too much of that. It seemed like, again, this movie is so fresh that maybe they're saving it for the special features. Maybe I need to watch more entertainment tonight. Like you, Island. but I didn't really, how can I put it? I need to watch the documentary because a lot of that seems to be shrouded in mystery. It didn't seem like it was the easiest, the easiest journey to get this adaptation done. But it certainly does seem like it has her approval. So, Aislinn, maybe when we do our little intro, I will have that research. Oh, that's a good
0: point. I didn't didn't mean to. um...
1: Oh, no, no, no no worries. No worries. Because, trust me, I was very curious about that as well. Amen.
0: And I, I know we'll talk about this, or likely we'll talk about this more, but to me it was knowing the documentary, knowing the other kind of media I'd seen about it, I knew Judy was on board. But I could tell by the way they did it too. You know, there are a lot of ways that it could have been shot to be exploitative or, for lack of a better word at the moment, gross or, you know, um, cringy or inappropriate. And like, I was so impressed with the way they, I don't know, um, what it choreographed a lot of the more intimate moments like this is hopefully this is a you know sort of master class in how to tell a an intimate female story without being exploitative It's not exploitative it doesn't objectify um in where an adaptation could very easily do And so I was mightily impressed.
1: It did feel like it uh, treasured the source material and really uh, respected the tone of what the book is, right? And the book isn't... Yes, it talks about sex, but it's never supposed to be sexy. Sexy is a bad word, but you, you know what I'm trying to say, right?
0: Right, yeah. Young girls comparing the beginning stages of the growth of their breasts, yes, could very easily become something that could be misused. With that lens on, I did not see things that could be so easily misused.
1: I'm very much looking forward to a year from now, perhaps when the dust has sort of settled on the film and seeing if there's, and we might not get one, but like a Judy Bloom reaction, because another thing too, mm-hmm. as you were saying, that reminded me like they're doing a press tour right now. I'm sure she's not going to go out and be like, you know what? really didn't like this adaptation.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Derek, I don't want to assume, but have you had any of your stuff adapted?
3: Oh, no. <laughs> uh, friend of mine was, uh, Trentor, is Trenner a screenplay off of one of my stories? Not Tobin, different different person. Although maybe he is, I don't know. I <laughs> haven't, haven't talked to him. But no, I, I have uh, written some like plays and stuff before that have been performed, but... Uh, No, I have not gone through an adaptation process.
1: So I want to ask then, like, in theory, like, someone says, or or your friend or whoever, I'm adapting your work. Like, I can imagine there's a little bit of a...
0: Apprehension? Mm -hmm.
1: Apprehension, yeah, for how that vision is going to come theoretically on screen or stage Mm -hmm. compared to, like, the words you wrote there. I don't know. Like, what what are your thoughts on that? Would would that be something that would
3: make you nervous? Yeah, I think, like, if I... We're trying to adapt something. I, I think my biggest, like, apprehension or, like, hurdle would be to be trying to adapt something that I, I like, I really loved and really connected with and trying to get across, like why this like mattered so much to me. Like if it was something I didn't care about, I feel like I could do it like actually pretty easy. <laughs> Just like you use the same outline, write the same beats. But if it's something that like really, you know, deeply mattered to you, I think it would be very hard uh, to r- write it in a way so that what you're writing connects with people in in the same way. And I think that would be my my biggest adaptation or my biggest like apprehension about adapting something. I think most writers, may, maybe not all, certainly not all of them, but I think most people are pretty much, like, aware of, you know, the way, like, Hollywood works and the way, like, script writing works and are can <clears throat> just be like, well, you know, I wrote this thing and this other thing is, uh, is something else now. You know, it's in somebody else's hands. And I think a lot of people are pretty good about, like, letting that stuff go. I was actually once told... Um, that if you ever do sell something that gets is going to be like adapted into a movie, you should try try and say that you want to write the adaptation yourself because it will give you more money not to do it, <laughs> which is good advice.
2: No. That's <laughs> amazing
0: advice. Uh, you zagged on me there. I thought it was going to be like, oh yes, yes, save the rights, do it yourself. But that's a that's a great tip.
1: Yeah, th- that's awesome. On that note, kind of right. Like I always imagined, like theoretically, if I wrote something and it got adapted like, you know, your pie in the sky thing is like, well, who would they cast as my characters, right? right? So uh, I'm curious to see if Judy Bloom had any input in the casting process. I thought the cast was, uh, you know, did a phenomenal Amazing. job today. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, the uh, young actor who plays Margaret, Abby Ryder Fortson, um, I thought she did a really awesome job. Would you guys think of uh, her performance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I agree. I think in both the visual acting of the, you know, the various um, pieces. But then, you know, we often, when there is voiceover, we often talk about voiceover. And that's such a such an important component because of the ongoing inner dialogue. and that that seemed just seemed to fit the performance so well. and and I could see with someone who is newer to their craft, you know, maybe over voiceover. Mm.
2: And, uh,
0: but I, I, I thought, yeah, I thought it was fantastic. And then again, there were some really deep and intimate moments in both um, highly emotional ways. And then also kind of fun and exciting ways, like thinking of, you know, she's practicing in her room when after she buys pads and is trying to figure out, can people see, how does it feel? I'm doing deep lunges, like all that kind of stuff. There was such a, um, Lack of self consciousness that you have when you are alone, and I was I was impressed that 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 was the feeling that came
2: across.
3: Oh, I th- I thought she was just incredible. Like, what a goddamn find, you know? In in this this young actor, <clears throat> yeah, I heard on the the podcast interview with Kelly Freeman Craig that I listened to, um, she talked about how when they were doing the audition process, when Abby Ryder Fortson auditioned, she said she just had a face of somebody. That you, you you just wanted to root for her. And I, I think that's so like well put. And I as I've thought about it, it's kind of like what makes a great child actor, I think, is you know, your your Mara Wilsons or your your Haley Joel o- Joe Osmonds, you know, they're just someone that you're just like, oh yeah, I want to see you get there. I want to see you succeed. And you like you feel it when they're they're not succeeding. Yeah, exactly. Um and I think I think it's just I, I don't know where, you know, at that age, like, where it comes from. But she just has, like, this this great watchability and this great, like, it, you know, the strength to carry this, ho- this whole movie. Yeah, she really had, like, that it
1: factor. Like, Bravo, like you said, Bravo on that find. Um, she'd been in uh, a bunch of other things for her age. Uh, she was in uh, the t- first two Ant-Man films until they aged up.
2: Oh, is that her?
3: Oh, I didn't feel yeah, like that.
1: Yeah, the original... OG Cassie Lang.
3: She's so good in those movies,
1: too. She she was so good. And then uh, the first movie we covered, Island, on AP, uh, The Map of mm-hmm. Tiny Perfect Things, uh, Catherine Newton eventually replaced her because they aged the character up.
3: Funny, weird connection for us.
0: Uh- yeah, that is fun. I'll have to go back and look because I, I did not catch it's that. It's a
3: hard loss yeah, yes, for the so, Ant Man yeah. films when they decided to age <laughs> her up.
1: They should have just pivoted to more of a story like this for the third Ant-Man film.
0: Oh my God. I love it. Let's watch it.
1: it. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> um, let's just go through uh, the cast quickly. And then we could just talk about some of our favorite uh, moments in in the movie. But I mean, Rachel McAdams playing uh, Barbara, uh, Margaret's mom here. I, again, I also thought she did a fantastic job when I read it again. I was younger. I just did not pay attention to the mom character. I don't know if in the book she's like a person.
0: Hundred percent, Brian. That's exactly what I was gonna say.
1: Yeah, maybe because we're more adultish age now. That like, oh, I could relate to that. But
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah because we are the Rachel McAdams, not the Margaret. <laughs> so just
1: <to> be fair. <laughs> oh man, no, she she does a bang up job. Uh, come on, the immortal Kathy Bates.
0: So, value ahead.
3: added in just everything she's in.
0: I remember the relationship with Margaret and her grandmother, but I didn't remember how the religion piece interacted with that. And as much as it was, you know, a broader character in this world, I just, I felt like it was it was so believable still, and especially the scene where they're um they they're having their mm-hmm. sleepover. And they're, they're in bed together as a person who whenever my grandmother visited, I would always want to sleep, whether it was in the guest bed with her or or have her come and sleep in my bed. Like that, that closeness and that trust and that relationship that is different than it is with your parents. And then when you see her kind of come back in to be protective and make a and whatever else, that it's already been said in this, uh, in, in Derek, you're talking about um, – your mom, but realizing the grandmother's a mm-hmm. person and has lived through the hurt and the harm that was caused when this other rift happened, that like, you know, I don't know. I thought she was able to kind of play both sides of it, like the fun, broad grandmother, but also this kind of real person who has their own kind of stake in the situation. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, of course, who would have... None of us were going to come on here and say, Ken, Kathy Bates, really. Did <laughs> they really need to
1: cast her? Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome for sure. Uh, just in my notes, just wrote down, uh, Benny Safdie played the father of the Safdie brothers, I think more known for filmmakers, but I've, okay. I've, I think he was in Licorice Pizza. I know Are he's a Our 70s now, so
3: period he's... piece, King. Thanks, yeah. Good Good point. Just has that face. Just has <laughs> 70s face.
1: Yeah. Very 70s face. That's a good, good call there. Um, so anyone else in the cast, like, really stand out to you?
0: The, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, about the other young women. Um, And I... Is it Nancy? That's the...
1: Nancy. Part. Yeah, Nancy Wheeler, play, played by Elle Graham.
0: I thought she was outstanding. Phenomenal. She had that confidence that... In my very biased opinion, a thin, blonde young
2: woman tends to have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and the kind of ownership of that group of friends. I mean, all that. I, I, I can't speak to male middle school friendships in any way. But that world was very real to me. And so much so that as I was watching, I was like, oh, I know – I know which person I am in this group and I know which person I would be friends with in high school and be hearing the story about. Right. Mm -hmm. I thought they were all fantastic, but you know, arguably the kind of next largest role um, is Nancy. And I thought she, she played it great with all that confidence and then the complete breakdown of not only the panic of getting your period in the wrong place in the wrong time, but then also the lie. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think she just uh, played that beautifully. And also that was a super complex and intimate moment to play. And, and I thought she did it amazing.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Island. Like the second she comes on the screen, at least for me, I was like, I know that girl.
2: Yep. I was like, Ooh, there's trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I do remember that being something that was fun and unique about Judy Loom's writing. Like whenever she sort of introduced a character, I sort of f- remember feeling like, oh, I know that person in my grade or I know that person mm-hmm. here. So I think that, yeah, that really came across with her. And again, shout out to all the young women who, who were in that clique, because as as we know, uh, Aislinn, like in a lot of the a lot of teen films, the clique of. Young women, people could sort of blend in the background, and they were all able to distinguish themselves a little bit, uh, one way or another. So, good writing, good directing, good acting. I'm not sure, but credit to everyone. All of it, absolutely. Yeah. I had in my notes the um, which I wanted to ask you about, uh, Mr. Benedict, played by Echo Kellum. Um, what do you think of the this the teacher role here?
0: I mean, I loved it, and I I, I really like him. For me, uh, I know him from Grand Crew.
1: Oh this yeah. Is, uh, I forgot he was in Grand Cru. Yeah, yeah. And
0: then, you know, Key and Peele back um, the day a little bit. But there were a couple of moments with him that were so vulnerable and, like, tender. Like, when he first comes in and, and he's sharing that it's his first year and he's so sort of excited about it. And then the bookend of that when Margaret gives him compliments at the end, that was just like, oh.
3: oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, as, as a teacher like that a kid telling you you are a good teacher like is one of the most like devastating things that you could like devastating compliments you could receive like having not read the the book is he like a really big part of the book like is he in it a lot
2: he don't remember
3: i do recall a teacher
1: but again for not remembering the religion parts here like i don't remember this assignment i don't again remember much of the adult you know, adults in the original source material. Maybe it's just us now, like I said, maybe, you know, maybe it was us then when we did read it, you know, Island. But
0: if we're forgetting this very important <laughs> component of the role, please tell us. <laughs> yeah,
3: we'll let you know. I really liked him and like like you were saying, this sort of vulnerability that he that he brought as like a first time teacher. I really kind of wanted like a little bit more of him, so I didn't know if he was something that maybe uh, wound up on like the, the cutting room floor as you're doing the adaptation. Um, because I do think, you know, it is supposed to be clear that he is the person sort of like pushing her to investigate religion and investigate her her family. We have to say, feel like Rachel McAdams would have really angrily called the school <laughs> after.
0: I was just going to ask you, Derek, as a teacher walk me through your thought process of okay, there's going to be a year long assignment. And then you say to your student, yes, please investigate this fraught part of your identity.
3: Yeah, I feel like uh, the idea of being like, oh, so you're not really uh, any, any sort of religion, or you you come from these different backgrounds, like, like pushing her in that direction, I think, I think is sort of fine. But then to be like, you don't, you don't talk to your grandparents? Like, what's, what the hell business is of yours, man? Like that, I just feel like you're opening yourself up to some very angry phone calls uh, when you start talking like that. <laughs> yeah, this
1: was a, um, and maybe this is a good segue to the re- uh, religion part, Iceland. but this was um, something uh, doing the research on the book because there's much more research on, uh, available on the book. It was banned in certain libraries or at least, you know, I forgot what the official library List uh, like uh, it wasn't banned, but a lot of times it, like you know,
2: controversial. Or? Yeah,
1: controversial. There was a there's a famous list of of the most controversial books, you know, of all time. Right.
0: And she has a couple on that.
1: She she has a couple, yeah. some much more controversial than this one, according Runners to... and website. White Dreams, also on the... Oh, that one, yes, of course. Yeah. I keep forgetting.
0: <laughs> um, real quick, Brian, I just want to name one other young woman cast member, and in fact, I don't want to talk about any of the young boys. They were all fine. But uh, the Laura Danker character, the, the character that was further along in puberty and was yes. taller than everyone else, was, um, is it Isol? I-S-O-L, young, and... I went through a journey with that. Cause at first I also thought out of place,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but I think where I came to it by the end was when we first see her, I think we are seeing her from the, the Margaret and the other young girls perspective. And then by the end, especially in that kind of end of the year party scene where they're all dancing together is kind of now where they see her as a peer. And maybe I am overanalyzing that, but um, I want to, as much as we talk about like the secret club and the in-group, I wanted to speak to that other character because it is, I mean, difficult is an understatement, but it is such a gauntlet to be different in any particular way in that middle school era. And especially as it relates to, sexuality and, and body stuff, I had such empathy. And and I did remember that body shaming and and rumors that they um, perpetrated out of, I don't know, jealousy and ignorance and whatever else against this one particular young woman. And so I, I thought, again, dealing with sensitive and vulnerable material, I think they did it well. And as an audience, we kind of always knew this young woman was not anything around these, you know, the rumors were rumors and that, you know, wasn't about her as a person. And then as we, you know, Margaret learns about her more and then embraces her at the end. Um, I'm, I'm glad they kept that kind of side P part in. I almost said side piece. And that's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm glad they kept that subplot in. What did y'all think of that either character or the, or the portrayal or any of that?
3: Hey, I, I think, Re- really liked the in- the inclusion of that character and sort of the, the journey we go on, like with Margaret um, in her feelings with her. And I-, I just feel like the sort of like idea of that character, the person who maybe you know, you know, hits puberty at an, at an earlier age and is, is getting, you know, the wrong kind of attention at an, at an early age is, um, just like, like a, a character we, we don't see a lot or a, a perspective that isn't talked about a whole lot. And I think is something that like a lot of people could stand to understand uh, a lot sure. more.
0: Yeah, a character that doesn't always have a voice.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And she also is a part of my favorite scene in the movie um, where they're in the library together. First of all, uh, when Laura describes confession as something you just have to do when you're Catholic, I like just pumped my fist. I was like, "Hell yeah!" yeah. But uh, just that scene where they're they're arguing and like Margaret is like intentionally mean to her, and Laura calls her out on it, and it, it just like triggers this this moment for Margaret of, you know, oh oh God, am I? am I one of the bad guys? Like, is this, is this what I've been doing this whole time? I just thought that moment was really powerful. Margaret's, like, acting in, in throughout that sequence is really great. And I just think, like, those types of questions are, like, th- you know, the questions I, I am asking or I am sort of trying to explore when I'm writing about characters around this age. Those sort of, like, is this the person... I want to be, was I hurting people I didn't mean to? Am I, you know, in with the, the group I want to be with? Like I think those, especially at that age are huge questions you're trying to figure out. And I, I think the movie like really explored them um, in a really like deft way.
0: Very quick sidebar before we get into the religion part. In, in this case, the kind of othering is about Laura's height, and that she has more developed breasts, What is the equivalent? Is it also, like, for boys, is it also height? Is it, like, being able to grow a mustache? Is it voice changing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are the, in terms of that, that perhaps young men are uh, watching, are, you know what I mean? Like, are tracking as, as we all age. Is there an equivalent?
1: From my perspective, I do not think young men are
0: paying any attention no no no, not
1: necessarily right because there <laughs> were th- there saying, were saying. things that you know i was worried about but i think it is much worse for young women mm-hmm.
0: externally at least
1: yeah yeah and i think that watching some movies scared me more because like mm-hmm. uh, you know you'd watch some especially teen movies right the high school locker rooms would look like prison showers right and yeah. there'd be God. like a huge ass dude. And, um, you know, just back to the breakfast club, the story that uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character tells of how, like I, I was petrified of that. Right. And that really was not the reality for me. Um, once I entered high school, I, I guess it's, I guess it's high, but um, effectively in the film though, we talk about this a lot, Island, how sometimes they cast people who are too old. Sometimes um, they cast uh, you know, younger cast or whatever, but, like, this effectively used the differences in their look. Like, yeah. you can't do it more perfect than this. So, um, and then it just, you know, it makes me think of high school, like, you ever, or even middle school, right? Especially middle school. You ever see a class picture and half of them look like they could yeah. get into yeah. a bar right now? And <laughs> half of them, you know, look like, like yeah, like 100%. children. Derek, you know, to Island's question, can you think of anything that guys really focus on like that? <sighs>
3: The only thing that that like pops into my head and it's not like it's not I- exactly the same thing um I I don't know what it's like for for te- for teens today but I know when I was a high high schooler or like a middle schooler there was tons of like self-consciousness or I don't, I don't know what word I'm trying to say. self-consciousness is probably the best word just about about being seen as gay um and being like having like yeah. Having like male, close male friendships or, you know, doing things that were, um, you know, not as like hype, you know, hyper masculine.
2: Sure. And so I think
3: that was certainly, you know, something that was on my mind. I think it was on like a lot of people's minds when we were that age and just sort of being if you were like hyper aware of something, it is like how you are acting, in you know, like a social situation, um, with like other guys, yeah, that's that's
1: so true.
0: Thank you for that yeah, I knew I was missing something
1: yeah, it was less like physical growth and more about stuff like that. There was a lot of pressure to at least you know for me to date and to get show your masculinity mm-hmm. and i don't I don't feel like a particular masculine person, so it was hard for yeah. me. I remember you know, authority figures like in middle school, I'd be on the basketball team, and I'd hold my hand a different way, and then they wouldn't say, you're being gay, but like, oh no, you know. Not manly, manly. yeah. Yeah, it's not manly, exactly. Hold your hands this way on, on like your waist. Like, I distinctly remember that conversation, like, oh, okay. And and this
0: is a rabbit hole we don't need to go down, but there is a, uh, I mean, there's a lot of literature but there's a a film in particular called The Mask We Live In about masculinity and one of the main points they make is about that closeness both physical and emotional and that you know young children it's somewhat equitable that way but then you hit like 5th, 6th grade ish and the expectations change drastically and we are um, I don't it's more than encouraging we're like stripping young men of of kind of license to be emotionally close mm-hmm. because of this construct of masculinity where female friendship, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of close female friendship, right? But that's completely accepted and encouraged. And so then suddenly we are setting men up for this really lonely path and it's a dis, it's a disservice to everyone. So if you wanna engage more in that conversation, uh, I suggest checking out the math we live in. Um, I'm not saying anything that we all don't you know know or have thought about, but that's um as a person who is a huge female friendship fan, I want to acknowledge that yeah that that closeness and that ability to be vulnerable and emotional with one another is not encouraged or kind of allowed across the board and that's that's a really unfortunate
1: yeah it's a great recommend um I don't know if it was on air or off air but you recommended it to me in the past Iceland, and you know definitely something that's interesting today I'd like to hope that kids today uh it's a little bit better but I don't know I'm not there right
0: hard hard to say um but yes the religion of it all <laughs>
1: oh fine we're gonna talk okay about now to yeah.
2: religion <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, no so I was just going to say that uh, in doing the research on the book I always thought like yeah this was banned because of the like, sexual nature of things and periods and things like that and that was true to some extent but also found out that it was banned in a lot of places particularly in the south or you know maybe probably like Catholic schools as well because of its acknowledgement of sort of atheism right an acknowledgement that a little girl in this story grew up not knowing or believing in any kind of God. She is, of course, saying, are you there, God and stuff like that, but it's definitely, you know, she's not in an organized religion. And while other, you know, not every book acknowledges religion, there certainly weren't a lot in 1970 that dealt with adolescents that openly talked about, you know, choosing your religion or something like that. Or
0: or turning away from it. Or turning
1: away, yeah. So I found that on the watch so fascinating and just thinking of, like, um, you know, we could say what we want about Judy Bloom's writing. I'm not qualified enough to say that, but in terms of like pushing that envelope and that part, I thought was pretty cool. Uh, so, uh, well, I guess, what were your guys' thoughts on that aspect of the film?
0: I mean, I like I said, I had forgotten that that like obviously by the title that is a huge component, and I think in part, you know, because I forgot, I, you know, it's a, like you say, it's a different era, right? So, I I grew up, I grew up Catholic, I grew up knowing people who. Not necessarily for the same reasons, but who were like their parents specifically wanted them to go to different places to to decide. In some cases, sincerely; in some cases, kind of as a ploy to get them back to the original. <laughs> you know? And then growing up with uh, some starting to understand the some of the differences between uh, Catholicism and and Protestant um, sects where i had friends that were getting either baptized or you know baptized later right as i was baptized as an infant in the catholic church or then confirmation much younger like there was just kind of there are these different kind of points and and we did not have um i did not grow up with a, a lot of examples of of judaism nearby i certainly read read about it and Like many, I read a lot of things about World War II at some age, got really into it, right? But, you know, thinking about bar bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs and so those kind of rites of passage I learned pretty early were different. And I remember having some striking conversations of like, well, oh, but, but if you weren't baptized when you were a baby and you passed away, what would happen? And like having conversations with other kids about like heaven and hell and so... It brought back some of that stuff. And then really that family altercation scene was heartbreaking in a way that I wouldn't have understood in in the original read. And then particularly, like we mentioned Rachel McAdams being a contemporary of mine in some ways, her heartbreak at all of it, like it was just a really devastating. Kind of scene and, and situation, and you, I, I feel like they got across at least some of the gravity of all that. That like we're dealing with what's happening now, but to many of the people in the room, the stakes of this are eternal. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, and I also thought thought on that note that they did it in a way that like didn't feel preachy in this film, even like against religion, right? Because like you see some positive people who, um religion is a positive aspect in their life. Certainly the grandparents with having to cut out their own daughter, that's not positive, right? But uh, I'm missing her name, but the one friend, and they go to a gospel church, and and it's really nice. Is it Janice? I think it's Janice, yeah. I like how Margaret is not like, this is terrible, but she's just like, this is not for me. I'm not feeling anything here. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was more powerful than any any kind of message anyway that they could have said, right?
3: Yeah, I really again like you know an, an interest of of mine is uh kids kids trying to figure things out like i i'm often writing about that and so this was i think a very like literalized version of that idea where she she's trying to figure out like what religion am i supposed to be which one of these is is right which one do i feel the most and i i grew up uh, very catholic Iceland, i know you guys were catholic we didn't go to catholic school right? No. No, we
2: went to Publix. Well, I did,
3: I did the whole program from kindergarten through uh, senior year. So it was really interesting because like, you know, I, I grew up just surrounded by other Catholics, but I feel like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe credit where it's due. Maybe it was my parents, maybe it was the, the church itself, but I feel like I had a, a pretty, like broad understanding from an early age of like oh I am Catholic but this is not like the only thing to be actually no i i i'm I'm gonna uh say what it was it was uh the Rugrats uh, hanukkah and passover Ooh. specials um, <laughs> were very broadening um for me and so like yeah i I definitely was only like Catholic and only surrounded by Catholics but I had like I definitely had like a like a sort of sort of world an understanding that there were other religions um, even if this was the thing I was doing and I wasn't doing anything else um, it's not a not an accident I don't think that when Margaret goes to the Catholic Church it's the scariest religion <laughs> um, Hundred
0: percent. the way they shot it in the confessional booth I mean having a confessional booth which at the time was great you know like yeah. I I in my church and in my era did not have booths. I don't know about yours, but the way that they shot that too was just perfection in terms of scary church.
3: This is what it feels like, man. Absolutely. But I just, I really liked and appreciated that for, for the most part, like Margaret's relationship with like God, as she understands him is very positive. Like she has a very like buddy, buddy relationship with, with the Lord. And for me growing up, you know, that was not always the case. And I think for a lot of people, that isn't the case. And so to see her not only, you know, exploring and figuring, trying to figure things out, but just have, having a good time doing it for for the most part was was really nice, I thought.
1: You you just like brought me back to my childhood moment where I like, because I, I, I grew up Catholic as well, um, but where I like realized that other religions existed and like this is sort of not existed, but... I'll, I'll just say it. So third grade, we had to do a report on a famous American. And I loved basketball all the time. And I picked Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I went to the library and I got a book on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And my mom was talking about him as much as well. And of course, he was born as Lew Alcindor and then chose to become a Muslim. Mm-hmm. And I was so fascinated by this. This blew my mind. I was like, wait, you can choose. You can pick what you want to be. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, I was like, whoa, like, this is not something that I knew was even possible. And and I wasn't like, I want to become a Muslim now. Or I, I, you know, I wasn't thinking of leaving the Catholic Church or anything like that. But it was just more opening up to that possibility that people actually did that blew my mind to the mm-hmm. point like, I went to Barnes and Noble. Obviously, my mother drove me there, but uh, uh, I had her buy me a book called World Religions. It was like this thick and I read the entire like the entire thing front and back. And I was fascinated by world religions. And I hadn't thought about like what was the catalyst. And yeah, the catalyst was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So thank you, Kareem. Um (laughs) (laughs) This and everything, you know. Um, So anything else on religion or any other parts of the film that really stuck out? To you guys I mean there, there's so much in here in the hour and 45 minutes uh, I thought the pacing was good good though like it didn't feel like it dragged at any point so uh yeah anything that really stuck out to you guys
0: I mean the estrangement I guess again it, it, we you know we've said it already but you know not having focused on that in my reading of it that you know Rachel McAdams I, I lost her name in the um Barbara Barbara I think it's interesting that we don't know other than kind of the statement of, if you marry this person, we cannot continue to have you in our lives or you cannot be in our lives or, you know, wherever we don't know all that kind of happened, but that's like a, that is a profound, not only statement for the parents or grandparents, but kind of Barbara's journey in it and how, you know, I, I don't know. I I was thinking a lot about, um, the image that shows up when I purchased the film was the three women, mm-hmm. right? It was Rachel McAdams, Margaret and Sylvia. It was Barbara, Margaret, and Sylvia together. And that what I wanted more of, and we'll get this in the in the questions, but like, Barbara and Sylvia, right? because that that is a mother- in law relationship, which mm-hmm. are not always, I mean, any all relationships are not always smooth, but you know, there's, and and then also, you know, somewhat cross cultural because Barbara did not grow up Jewish, and 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 Sylvia definitely is, is still practicing, etc. I I was so kind of curious about, kind of about those those pieces there, but just thinking more about Barbara and what a difficult decision, and I don't I don't want to assume difficult, but like striking decision to to say, okay. And I, and we don't know, did she fight them on that? How is that? Did she try to reach out and they stopped? Like it kind of, the interpretation that I, I took on it was that them even saying that to her was such a offensive statement that then in a way it became mutual of like, you can't have me in your life because my husband is Jewish and I will not have people in my life who are disrespecting my husband and my family. Like, and so just the difficulty there. And I think, so that's, that sort of struck me and I kind of wanted to know more or I, I wanted to be able to better kind of empathize. I was more interested in kind of her journey and where she was at with it. But then the way that you see the two parents together as a partnership and a unit was, and a team was awesome. Because that's sort of my kind of thing is like, relationships can look different, right? My relationship doesn't have to look like anybody else's, it only has to work for the people on the team, right? Um, and what a, what a journey that team must have taken. And that even in these moments where their parents who you know, they love and have complicated relationships with, et cetera, are, I don't know, at each other's throats and all that, that their team maintained kind of that unity was, I don't know, admirable and also comforting. I don't know. I I really, and and there are not a lot of moments of it, but I feel like they really demonstrated that in in a way that um, really came through for me.
1: Yeah, it was really nice to see uh, their relationship. Like, And it wasn't also perfect either. They they got into fights, but they always seemed like they were pulling in the same direction. And just a pivot to Barbara in line of what you're saying, Eisen. Like, her journey in the film is fascinating, too, because uh, she's an art teacher as well as an artist. Um, when they do move to the suburbs, and I do want to get into that, she gives that up to you know, presumably spend more time at home, be a PTA mom, join all these committees. I love how they focused on how unhappy she was doing that and with that crowd. And how she returned to uh the art at the end, really like I mean she was humanized throughout the film, but I was just so happy for her. And this is a, this is I don't want to say a buzzword, but a buzz term that people say a lot lately, like normal normalizing no when that mm-hmm. other PTA mom comes up to her, is like, oh, we want you on the committees. And she doesn't make up an excuse. She doesn't say it. She's like, I forgot exactly what she said, but something like, I'm not. She
0: said, I would love to, but I
2: don't and want, I want to.
1: to. Yeah.
2: That was amazing.
1: Bravo. Well, yes, I wanted more, but like what we got on screen that it did a really great job of her just not being the background mom character to Margaret, right? Mm-hmm. Like she she was a, a fleshed out human being and I thought that was great.
0: And, and I felt also the the weight of it on multiple levels of like, I think there was an extent to which she thought maybe that's what she should be doing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we, we moved to suburbs. I should be X, Y, Z. And that maybe she wanted to or was interested in it because it had not been the life she had had. And they, they show her you know, cooking and and sort of trying to cook and then being somewhat successful. And, you know, the, she really does, like you're saying, Brian, go on this journey. And then the I don't want to was, I thought, profound on multiple levels because that's also Nancy's mom. So there's like the the kids' relationships involved too. And the it seems like she, again, in kind of subtleties, is very much aware of, how the presentation is part of it, right? She doesn't look like the other suburban moms and, you know, and in some ways, like with the cooking, she sort of assimilates, but maintains, you know, her, her identity in herself. And then like you're saying, comes back to it with, with teaching art. But I just loved, I would, I look forward to the day I can say to someone, I would love to, but I just don't want to.
2: <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe next time I ask you to do uh you know, uh, record on a certain, <laughs> night or or, you, use it is. on me. I'm very, yeah, <laughs>
0: that's what I would have said about bully. But.
1: <laughs> oh man. So, uh, one thing I did want to talk about too, is that move. Um, because this time I got a little bit of like, Whoa, flashbacks, because I, at a younger age, I did some, um, early years in, uh, New York city. Uh, my whole family was from there. And one day we moved out to New Jersey, just like this. And a lot of the questions were similar. A lot of the relatives said the same thing. What the hell is out there sort of things (laughs) like, you know, you're losing culture. And then uh, wait, there's that great, great line. She says uh, when she's, you know, praying or whatever, she says, please don't let New Jersey be too horrible. I really, 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 really got that. And I know it's like, you know, New York City, New Jersey, so close together, but when you're a kid, um, the difference between city and the suburb is just so vastly different. And um, when Nancy basically was like, oh, you're from New York, I thought you'd be cooler, essentially. I definitely got that as well. Like there was a different vibe uh, or people thought I would come with a different vibe. The one thing I'm jealous of is that like Nancy sort of just shows up to her door and then suddenly they're friends. It was really hard to make friends in a new place. So I didn't get to experience that. And I know Nancy's not perfect, but at least she was a friend who was hanging out with her. Right. But like, it's interesting to note that like Margaret's dealing with all this while also having to process a new school, new people around her and, Also, you know, it's something we don't see a lot in adolescent films, but she's an only child, right? She doesn't have a younger brother or an older brother or or someone along those lines to bounce ideas off of as well. So all that in in this watch really framed her sort of new person uh, in a new place journey for me.
3: No, I think uh, speaking as an only child, I can certainly relate to Margaret there just in the sense that like, I feel, I don't are are, I don't know, you are not Brian. Brian, uh, were you an only child?
1: No, I'm the oldest of three boys.
3: Oldest of three boys. Well, yeah, I just, I am sure other only children out there uh, will relate, but like, you are alone so much. And like the scenes of her just in her room alone thinking things over, talking to God, that was very relatable. And I think it's just something you get really used to and becomes a big, that sort of internal monologuing or internalized internalizing, like sorting things out is definitely something you get very used to. And it's something that shows up a lot. uh, I've noticed in like my own writing is just like a lot of that sort of like stream of consciousness or, very like thinky kind of characters puzzling things out. I think that probably has uh, a lot to do with like growing up like that and just having a ton of time by myself to just think thoughts. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense.
0: So I did not relate to Margaret's journey, hoping for her period and being very upset at the idea of not getting it, et cetera, et cetera. I did not say, yes, please get me a bra. It was thrust upon me. But um, that's a different story. And, and and this wasn't said out loud, but I think very well acted. All I wanted was for someone to kiss me or to kiss someone or be kissed or whatever, right? Not in sixth grade. You know, the, there's a sort of a boy, what we would have called in my time a boy-girl party, but like a dinner party that was co-ed. And so then, you know, they their version of seven minutes in heaven was two minutes in the closet Um, And so like the cute, you know, Philip, Philip something, the um, cute guy who was a dick, um, which they didn't even have to say, right? He just was, you know, she, she gets a first, she has a first kiss with him and that part and just the way that she was like smiling. And then when she was talking to Nancy about it and she had the internal monologue of, I know I shouldn't be so happy, but like, this is great. (laughs) I thought that that was the, the piece that I was like, okay, that is more, that I relate to. Again, not in sixth grade. I had to wait so much longer. I liked how they dealt with it. I liked how, again, it wasn't exploitative or sort of gross in any way, but was like a really kind of fun and exciting experience that was positive and whatever else. So I thought that was kind of the only other thing I had in my notes was like, oh, yay, Margaret Margaret got to kiss. Love kissing.
3: Can I tell a quick story uh, about that? About that? so uh, I'm at I'm at my my like mid afternoon showing alone watching this movie. Me and the moms, and w- they're they're going through that scene, and you know it gets revealed that Margaret is going to go into the closet with Philip, and he sort of like saunters over to her, and son of a preacher band <laughs> starts playing. And I laughed so (laughs) loud, just a guffaw for like a minute and a half. I was, I was, it struck me as just being so fucking funny. I apologize if I can't curse on the podcast. No, you're good. That needle drop is maybe like one of my, my favorite needle drops of all time. It's (laughs) so perfectly executed and so funny. And I apologize to everyone else in my theater for how loud I laughed at that moment.
0: That's a great point. The music, it really... I, I have a couple of friends who um, like 70s music as their jam. And I don't like disagree, but it's just I don't have like those emotional connections to it. And I thought, what a great soundtrack. And what a great... The way that they implemented it. And it wasn't overly what do you call it? Soundtracked. It's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like it wasn't manipulative. It wasn't, but it was very much kind of set the scene. And I agree because that kid had swagger, but also (laughs) like that song is also not appropriate, <laughs> right? <laughs> for, like, what we're the doing here.
3: Genius song um, ever written.
0: Uh, so many things. Like, uh, that's, and that's, I guess I would say, my impression of a lot of 70s music is that, like, if you actually listen to the words, like, what's happening
2: You're here? <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it was, yeah, no, right at the end, I like let the credits roll because I was enjoying the music and the vibe of it for so long. So, thank you for the story and also, um, referencing the music because I thought I will I will Spotify that soundtrack you know right. later this week as I'm getting ready for my work conference.
1: If it's available on vinyl, I will be purchasing it. Hey, okay. this is a very good soundtrack ending with a little cat Stevens. Right, I loved it. Um, let's get to our weekly questions. Then I'm really excited for these today. So, uh, who was this movie made for, guys? Adults, teens? whoever. Who do you think the intended audience was for this film?
0: I think to some extent it's the moms, right? Mm. It's those of us who had this uh, as one of our sort of childhood movies and I think potentially, I mean, there's certainly multiple generations there, but I think this is, and especially the way they dealt with it, because I was also thinking about would I, were I to to be a teen, would I watch this with my mom? right? Because I was very sensitive to like, I don't want to watch stuff where she's going to ask me questions. I don't want to display like my own anything. Um, and the way that they dealt with it, absolutely. I would watch that. You know what I mean? There wasn't, there wasn't anything that I would cringe watching next to my mom as a teen or as an adult, I suppose. So I would love to see this as a multi-generational. I don't know, but that's, that's my hope, I guess.
3: Yeah, I I think this has uh a little bit of something for everybody. There were like I said a lot of moms in my in my showing and some of them were there with their Mar- Margaret aged or like teenage daughters and there were were some little brothers uh scattered scattered amongst. And I don't know, I think it was like a very fun and enjoyable movie um for like a lot of demographics. I think a lot of like Little brothers should be dragged to it and should watch it because little boys don't know what the hell is going on, um, and like that often continues into uh, adulthood. Um, so I think it's a you know a, a, educational to to a certain degree, and I don't know. I just think it was it's I, I think it was a delightful movie uh, across the board, and I think I think everybody would would enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I th- I think I think so too. I don't know if you teens or young people are just eager to see this on their own, but I think they, again, would enjoy it. And definitely for the uh, adults in the room there, I'm glad they didn't decide to adapt this though. As like, just for She's tweens.
2: Very. Oh, okay.
1: Right. Cause you get a lot of that too. Like where they're just like just marketing to tweens and there's silliness and there's like, you know, which is, which is fine. You could do that, but I'm glad like it, It felt like it maintained its original identity. Is this based on YA? Controversial, because I think we already addressed that. I don't know if it was YA at the time, but certainly.
0: (laughs) It's based on classic literature.
1: I I mean, I I think it's worth asking this question. I I didn't include it in the email because sometimes we delete it. But like, um, so Derek, for a little context, what would you say? I said 75%, 50% of the modern teen films we cover deal with a dead teen or parent? somewhere Mm -hmm. we didn't get that here so uh let's just but we had
0: like estrangement though we
1: Mm -hmm. did have a stranger that's a good point we'll note that
0: an exception for estrangement
1: (laughs) after (laughs) estrangement
3: Uh, so most likely to succeed which character won the movie it's hard to argue that it's that it's not margaret and that Harry name is in the the title (laughs) yeah um and also abby writer fortson does just such an incredible job but man oh man I really love Nancy Nancy is just such we talked about it earlier she's just such a like a powerhouse and just has so much so much range like throughout the movie like she covers like so much emotional ground and I just thought she was like wonderful to watch so for, for me it's Nancy love it
0: and I would say similarly like yeah I can't argue like if I was writing a paper well if I was writing a paper I would I would do a different answer because Margaret seems the obvious, but, um, yeah, of course, Margaret, but at least with this adaptation, I think Barbara, Mm. you know, we we talked about it. She, um, explored, she tried different things. She went out of her comfort zone and in that she's, you know, kind of found her center again. And, um, and I thought that was great. And also the way that she dealt with, her daughter growing up, right? They let her go in the bus to New York by herself. Like, you know, the way that she reacts when Margaret finally does get her period. Barbara is dealing with a lot in this year. It's a, You know, they say it's a hard year for Margaret. It's a hard year for Barbara. And so I I will give my vote to Barbara.
1: That's who I had as well. So maybe I'll go with the obvious and say Margaret. But we all know that, right? You know what? Yeah. You said it's a hard year for Barbara. And suddenly I want to watch a movie called It's a Hard Year it's a hard- for Barbara. <laughs> great title oh my
2: God.
0: or that's the name of my 70s cover band
1: Ooh, i like that too <laughs> awesome uh so wooderson award named after matthew mcconaughey's character in Days and confused famously he only had one or two scenes and uh director richard linklitter expanded his role due to you know his performance and how much they were enjoying it on set if you were in charge here is there a character who you would have liked to have seen more of by the way, Barbara might be my answer for everything, so I'm gonna hold
3: that. <laughs> just more <Okay. Lord> Barbara. <laughs> I kind of would have wanted um, maybe just a little bit more with Barbara's parents, actually. I don't um, know who those actors are. They could be very well loved and well respected um, by by their fans. But when they, they finally showed up, there was like so much buildup to them. And like her mother-in-law is is played by Kathy fucking Bates that when they show, I was just like, Oh, it's just, okay. It's just these,
2: people. these two
3: people was, was stalker Channing like not available or like what was going on? Um, would be amazing. I know. And so that's, I felt like there was room for them to not only be sort of bigger characters, but like, I don't know, maybe have more, more room for like recon, like showing like reconciliation or showing growth. Um, or not just showing them being kind of jerks still
0: counterpoint Mm -hmm. to them be like a stalker chanting type. I think similarly to how I thought about the Laura Danker character, like Sylvia is so familiar to us Mm -hmm. and is so familiar to Margaret and these people are strangers. Sure. But I agree. I would love to hear, I want to hear what they were saying on the plane. Right. On the way there, you know?
3: Yeah, no, I think I think that's a that's a great point that they do feel like, sort of who the hell are these people? But I, I think there there could have been some room for just a little a little bit more a little bit more screen time from them.
0: Um, so we talked about uh, Mr. Benedict, which was one thought. But as I mentioned in the secret club, my best friend in high school, based on this information, would be Gretchen <laughs> with the curly hair and the glasses, and I just I feel like she is, you know the radical feminist in the making in this movie not that margaret isn't but like i just got that vibe from her like and so um i i felt like she either was me or would have been my friend and so i would love to see what's what's next for gretchen and you know we sort of see her as not the last but you know sticking with nancy at least in that last scene as the others kind of maybe grow out of Nancy's antics a little bit. And Nancy likely will grow out of them too. But then it kind of, you see her like, no, there's fun happening over here. And I'm, and I want to, you know, head that way. So I would, I would love to see what was next for Gretchen.
1: Good call. I like that one. I like Gretchen. Opposite. Long okay. duck dong award.
0: Oh, wait, did you say yours, Ryan?
1: Barbara it's just my answer. for oh, Barbara. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you you, you want to
3: equal cool, a tough year for, Bar- for Barbara.
1: Yeah. Yes. I'm waiting for
2: okay. it. <laughs>
1: Judy Bloom, write it and then we'll adapt it. Um, <laughs> uh, Long Duck Dong Award. Is there a character whose omission would make the film better? Would you delete any character or even any story storyline from Judy Bloom's classic? So sounds so perverse. To Let say me tell that. you how you got it wrong, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have to have one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think so. I think that, you know, the the way that they treated that, um, the boy that they thought was weird, that had the party. Like, I don't, you know, I don't like seeing people being othered and bullied. But that was a component of the story and is a component of our social world. So I, I don't want to take it out just for my comfort. Yeah, I think you mentioned it's a it's a nice kind of concise storytelling. I think they did great.
3: I do have to say about that that character, um what was his name, the the weird the weird boy?
0: Uh Norman.
3: Norm of course his name was how did I know? Norman. How did that work? No, I really actually like liked the portrayal of that character because I think everyone kind of like talks about him disparagingly and there's like might be some like some bullying going on, but it doesn't seem to like affect him at all yeah he has a good sense
2: of self throughout the yeah. movie
3: he's like very confident everybody comes to his boy girl party <laughs> i don't know i think norman comes out of this on top <laughs>
2: that's, a
0: good, that's a good reframe thank you yeah.
1: <laughs> extra credit assignment ap special here if you could recommend a classic teen film to a particular character in this movie what would the film be, and to what character would you recommend that film?
0: I'm gonna start because it's not hard to guess for either the book or the film adaptation. I think Margaret would enjoy the perks of the wallflower.
1: <laughs> You're playing all your hits tonight, Iceland, and I Damn. love it. I love it it's though.
0: Because this is this is the we are straddling the classic and the contemporary, the <laughs> nostalgia and the now. It's only appropriate. And if I don't say it here, I would do it in my buy two, get one free. And so it just has to be done. But I think the power of positive and nurturing friendship, which, you know, like like we said that these other young women in her class accept her right away when she's new. And that's fantastic. Um, and they sort of parallels, but a very different kind of friendship group. In that, and it's kind of the next stage. It's high school and jumping in and being yourself and exploring new things. I, I, what can I say? It's my jam. It, and I think Margaret would enjoy it.
3: I think so too. How about you, Derek? Do we consider Ladybird a classic? <gasps> yes, we have recommended yes, it, course, I do. Though. Great. That's <laughs>
2: a great one. I
3: think Margaret should watch ladybird when she is a little older um i think it has a lot in common with this movie i think there is a you know there is a searching quality a trying to figure it out quality um there's mom stuff there's a lot uh, about you know falling in with the the wrong crowd not in the sense of like doing doing bad things or doing bad things to yourself but just like is this? Are these the people I want to be with? Is this the person who I want to be? Who Who am I? I think there is a very similar kind of like search for for self going on in both movies.
1: Yeah, good call. We are answer. we are Lady Bird fans here, so uh, that I love that pick. So I'm gonna. I thought about this from a different perspective. Um, Margaret is a young woman in the ni- in 1970. And I think, and we know this movie's not perfect. It certainly has dated elements, but I think she would very much love 16 Candles. It was, for on film, it did a lot of what Are You There, God Is Me, Margaret did for mm-hmm. books, you know? And I think that, you know, she would relate to the character of Sam and the family there. Um, and I, I think her and her friends would... Would love it, but specifically, again, Margaret.
0: And I think she would love the sibling aspect. Oh, yeah. You know, there's older and younger, and, you know, because that's different than her experience. Oh, gosh. Y'all are so good.
1: Well, the two of you have more formal, much more formal teaching experience than (laughs) I do. So get out your red pen. Get out your special report cards, because it is time now to grade the film here on High School Slumber Party AP. As a reminder, we grade on an A-plus to F scale. But first, we got to look at our cheat sheet, right? Rotten Tomatoes, 99% by the critics, 95% by the audience, and a 4.0 out of 5 on Letterbox. We say anything in
2: 3
1: or above is is, is good um, on Letterbox. but yes, holy shit is right, on A 4.0 so far in Letterbox. So let's throw that away, though. Let's not let have that <laughs> influence us and grade the film. Um, Isla, why don't you go first?
0: I'm going to give it a solid A, uh, which to me is high, right? I know we are on a roll here of movies that I like. I, what's happening? Maybe I'm just happier in my life than I was six <laughs> months ago. I don't know. It's not that I'm withholding the A+. It, it's good quality all around. Will I watch it again? I'm sure at some point. I think because it is based on something existing that I knew about, there's um, the, the the plus is not there because there's maybe not. I mean, I was surprised by some things, but you know, there. Um, I sort of saved the A plus for something that just completely, you know, hits me across the face. But this is a solid like 96. You know what I mean? This is an A. This is... This will keep your grade where you need it to be.
1: Uh, yeah, I, the- I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I don't know, a lot of A's lately. Love it.
0: <laughs> no, what's happened to me? <laughs> How about
3: you, Derek? Uh, a plus for me. I I adored this movie. I had I had such a good time watching it. Cried, not not cried, cried, but got got pretty misty uh, over the end credits when Cat Stevens was playing. Iceland, I think I think you have been right this whole time that this is like a tricky adaptation and it could have gone pretty wrong, but I, th- I think everybody just nailed it. I think everyone put their hearts into it. Everybody in it clearly loved being in it and was having a very good time. Um, and I think it was, it was just a, a delight to watch.
1: Love it. Love it. So I'm also going to give it the A plus and not just so you have the lowest score, island. <laughs> I, I I really did love this film. I think this is uh you know, an awesome adaptation. I can't say enough about just how perfect the tone felt throughout. And I definitely, and maybe we'll cover it here on AP, but I definitely want to check out that Judy bloom documentary now. Mm -hmm. Hard questions out of the way. Now some now time for the fun questions.
0: I'm ready. I'm
1: so excited. The three of us, we are at our cool nerdy AP slumber party where we know we are renting. Are you there? God, it's me. Margaret, and we are in our sleeping bags, our custom, custom, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, sleeping sleeping bags, as weird as that is. What does your sleeping bag look like?
0: Okay, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, so in the film, and I also think they did this really well, but they show um, the, the sixth grade, young women, sixth grade girls, um, seeing a film strip about menstruation. Um, in that very like old school way. And we see the the girls' reactions. And, you know, I think it's a, that's also a tightrope, right? Like I would be upset if everyone was like, oh my God, gross. And you see a couple of people like, ah, ah, what? Right? Because it is, it's weird. So partly for that and partly for the sort of social construction of how um, we are taught about sperm and eggs, where like the sperm is is um, persistent and active and moving and eggs just like sitting and waiting there. Right. And that's all BS. So the outside is like very dry sort of clinical diagrams of like reproductive system, particularly um, female reproductive system um, with things labeled appropriately, but like that old school drawing of diagrams, black and white. And then the inside is just vibrant cool all like reds and pinks and golds and like showing the like majesty and beauty and magic that is the vagina and the whole female reproductive system I'm a person who wears a vagina ring every day we uh, we do such a disservice by marginalizing and making gross Um, female reproductive stuff. And, and then of course, you know, so much, we, we do so much worse than even just that, but sort of, um, casually I'm, I'm tired of the marginalization of the vagina. And so that is my clinical on the outside party on the inside. Are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, vagina and menstruation themed sleeping bag. Two thoughts. First,
1: if there is a sleeping bag hall of fame in some random place (laughs) like like sheboygan where's that wisconsin right let's say that exists your sleeping bag i think would be a first ballot inductee i love it so well thought out thank you
2: i appreciate that
1: second and totally random but you would like my computer today because my computer broke i'm using my wife's and on the back is a big sticker of a female reproductive system diagram. So, yeah. as as she is in the field, so <laughs>
2: yes,
0: she is a vagina warrior.
1: <laughs> that is awesome. That is really great. Sorry, you have to follow that, Derek, but I th- I believe in you. I think you have a good one.
3: All right. So it is. Mine is much much simpler. <laughs> it is it is just a picture, like full full length of Benny Safty in. <laughs> Shorts. <laughs> oh, glorious! I love that. It. just <laughs> top, he starts like right here, and just that's it.
0: I love it. Seventies suburban dad.
3: Oh, I wish like the dream. I want my
1: goals is to be seventy suburban dad energy. I don't know.
0: <laughs> and Barbara loves
1: it. And Barbara loves it, right? No. <laughs> love that one uh so my sleeping bag is just gonna be oh it's a little bit twofoldish as well but uh outside is definitely gonna be a picture of the George Washington Bridge it just has such sentimental value for me as it was sort of just like as a child the you know quite literally the crossing point between where I lived and where most of my family lived and just that change that would occur you know I currently live in Manhattan but Five minutes away from the George Washington Bridge, so seeing it in this film was very cool. But inside the sleeping bag, you can have some old playboys for some viewing <laughs> later, later during during the slumber party. So
0: I forgot about <laughs> that, and that the, and that the centerfold was nineteen.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's great that they point that out and like, oh, what am I going to look like at nineteen? And it's really not that drastically far from their own age, but like. <sighs> worlds away sort of yeah like that's a good moment i think you (laughs) know
0: that's fantastic brian Great. great thank
1: you thank you all right this is my favorite question every week we are in the magical blockbuster in the sky that has every film that has ever existed up until this point today as i said we know we are renting are you there god it's me margaret for our slumber party but we're waiting in line we see a sign that says rent two movies get one free So I say, let's all go for it. Let's all find two other movies that we would rent with this film for a perfect slumber party, triple feature. So Island, I I like you leading off the batting order.
0: I realize it was very rude. We have a guest. I was just so excited. (laughs) Um, Okay. So here again, I'm trying to sort of reconcile and represent the story, like the period piece. (laughs) <laughs> of the uh, of the film, our contemporary focus here, and then also like to some extent my experience, and so the music and some of the styling reminded me of classic teen, maybe maybe not now and then. Nice, nice. Thinking about you know someone of my age group: Gabby Hoffman, Christina Ricci, Kirsten Dunst. But then also Rosie O'Donnell, uh, Demi Moore, is it Goldie Hawn? No.
1: Oof, oof. I gotta look that up.
0: Yeah, that's trivia
1: that's gonna bother me. Let's see.
0: Pausing.
1: Melanie Griffith.
0: (laughs) Melanie Griffith
1: and Rita Wilson.
0: Of course, it's not Goldie Hawn. Okay. And then, so so now and then, some of it for the music, and then also to like look back and see this. I think was so well done. And such a great source story. I don't know. Does that hold up at all? I, I know that there's trivia that Rosie Adonna's character was meant to be like a, as a young person and also as an adult was meant meant to be gay, but that was changed at some point, and and you know there was some conflict about about that. Um, so that one. And then for the Rachel McAdams of it all, I, I had to say main Girls because I just, this was such a great performance of hers. And I think that is also a great performance of hers and a different take on female friendship, secret club, the rules of the club. Like I just saw a lot of parallels there. So um, three female friendship focused films.
1: That didn't even cross my mind. Uh, we always comment, right, like when we see, I, I don't know, like Kirsten Dunst or uh, Alicia Silverstone, right, like in uh, the mom role or something like that. Like, I hate to say it, but, but like that, right? And totally forgot uh, Rachel McAdams in Mean Girls while watching this. But yeah. Probably
0: because she wasn't a teen.
1: Yes. Well,
3: that's a good point. <laughs>
0: that's, that's a different podcast. All right, Derek. Two rent get
3: one free. Awesome. Um, no, I, I mentioned it before, uh, but The Sandlot I think would pair really well with this movie. Set not next to each other, but around around the same time, all the same kind of music is is going through uh, both movies. I think not that people of of both genders or no gender uh, cannot enjoy either movie, but I think there if there is something sort of, you know, quintessentially about like adolescent girlhood in this movie or something absolutely quintessential about adolescent boyhood in the Sandlot. Just dudes being dudes. And I don't know. I just think that the two movies put back to back would really like talk to each other. I think the two minutes in the closet scene has a lot in common with the Wendy Pfefferkorn scene. And I think, I, I don't know. I just think they would all, they would both, uh, they would pair really well. And then my bonus movie um, is this movie from a couple of years ago called Yes God, Yes. Have you guys seen this movie? We just covered it, we so. just it. Yeah. yeah listen to it. Oh my God so, so to be clear, it's
1: not out yet, so you're just reading our minds here read that.
3: my no I uh, I love this movie. um I won't give too much away. Uh, uh, I'll let I let people, you know, come and listen to to the podcast i'll build, build the anticipation here but just in terms of the the god of it all moving into to high school another you know movie that deals with um bumbling towards adulthood and uh, adult adult things i don't know i think there there's just a a, a lot they have a lot of the same uh, dna i think everything would flow really well together
0: I wish I, I wish I had realized one that you love that movie, but um, also that you had gone to Catholic school all the way through. Nope. We are so on the same same wavelength here. You must come back another time. There's other things. That
3: we anytime back. you need someone to talk about uh, Catholicism, I'm your, I'm your guy. I love it. Or anything,
1: you are the model Great. Okay, student. Okay. Oh, thank I, you. I just, I just want to, you know, thank you for that. But oh, I didn't get my picks right.
0: Yeah, no, Brian. Oh. Brian, give your sorry I got sidetracked by yes, God,
2: yes.
1: So when I go last, I'll often just pick the obvious pick. So I do want to say Edge of Seventeen, just to acknowledge, you know, mm-hmm. the work of this director and and I'm glad again that that she could do uh, something else and something else that's getting critical acclaim. So Edge of Seventeen for sure. And the other film I picked was one of the first films where we dipped a little bit, you know, under the high school age, and that's eighth grade. Um, I don't know if either of you caught that, but uh, that that's a really fun one, and again, uh, deals with some some of the similar things that uh, this film does as well. And I would like to watch that trifecta on a slumber party too. So, um, okay. all great picks from everybody today. So, oh, you know, great effort all around. I, I'm I'm feeling so good <laughs> yeah. about this. So, uh, thank you so much, Derek, for for entertaining us and talking with us. Is there anything you want to plug or say before we skedaddle?
3: Uh, sure. Well, for, thanks for having me. This was this is a blast. Um, I'm just really excited to get to talk about this movie. So anyway, uh, if people would like to hear uh, more dumb jokes from me, they can find me on Twitter uh, as
2: I'm at... Her- on Twitter.
3: <laughs> I try. Um, as at Herrick Deckman. Um, my initials just reversed. And uh, if you want to read my writing, you can just Google Derek Heckman. Uh, I, I come up. The um, most recent thing I had published was a story in a journal called Tramp Set. Um, it's called Wild Child. Very deeply personal story about teaching. Um, and I, I, if you want to read something of mine, I would appreciate it if you read that. Awesome. I'll definitely check that out. Looking forward to that.
2: Listen to the wind, to the wind of my soul. Where I land up, well, I think only God really knows. I've sat upon the setting sun, but never, 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 never. never. I never. What a great
1: conversation with Derek, Derek again. He He's someone I hope we can get on again because he definitely belongs here uh, with us on High School Slumber Party AP.
0: Absolutely, so much fun! Thanks, uh, Derek, for giving us your time, and I hope our listeners enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it.
1: So while we were recording, um, I did take some notes uh, because we had some questions, and um, you know, since we've recorded, I did a little deep dive on some things. I I think you'll find. I love it. I think I hope you'll find fascinating, at least.
0: I look forward
1: to it. So one of the questions we had was uh, sort of the process of acquiring the rights to this classic Judy Bloom novel. Um, I I believe you had asked, uh, you know, what other stuff had gotten adapted uh, from her catalog. Fascinating read. So like for how popular of an author she is, not too much of her stuff has been adapted.
0: Because so much of it is sexy.
1: Yeah, so much of it is sexy. But there's other reasons that are really going to, according to Judy Bloom, at least, that are really going to, I think, interest you and us here in this podcast. Let's walk through how this got adapted and sort of work backwards here. So I read an article in The Hollywood Reporter, uh, a good interview with the director here um, of Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret Kelly Freeman Craig. As mentioned, she had directed Edge of Seventeen. It was a surprise hit. And basically, she was in that enviable position of, hey, what do you want to do next? So she Beautiful. really thought about it and she was a fan of the book. This is, it's something that interests her. Coincidentally, around the same time, Judy Bloom put out a tweet, I believe, that was like, I'm thinking of adapting my stuff, <laughs> sort of. And she was like, Yes. Wow. And she, she actually wrote a letter to Judy Bloom. Sort of saying why she would be the right person to uh, adapt this book. I love that she also, uh, you know, her her partner on Edge of Seventeen, as mentioned, was Jim Brooks. Um, he kind of lobbied Judy Bloom as well. Judy Bloom actually watched Edge of Seventeen, enjoyed it, and really got a sense that this wouldn't be a big Hollywood blockbuster, but it would be the intimate movie that she was hoping. Uh, would be adapted from her book. That was super important to her. That led me to some more research because I was super curious, again, uh, you know, why hadn't this been adapted since then? And the biggest reason was, according to Judy Bloom's own words, she would get pitched by Hollywood in such a condescending way, mostly because uh, her bigger stories, the subject matter was young women. And they would tell her, we don't think that this is something that's adaptable for screen. This seems like more television stuff. They even yeah. used words with her, like again in her words, that uh, the subject matter was too shallow or too stupid to be uh, a, a feature, you know, a feature length film.
0: That's wild, right? I mean, this movie was about everything.
1: Of course, of course, and it's funny because I, I expected it to be like oh it was so controversial how could we adapt this
0: right it was racy yeah
1: and look but that still might have been the case but according to judy bloom she mm-hmm. said she would enter so many meetings where some hollywood dude and remember this is like the 70s and the 80s would yep. go judy sweetheart this is why we have to do it this way right. and she would just be repulsed by the entire process mm. in the 90s i think i mentioned this but tales of the fourth grade nothing slash like her fudge books got um adapted into a tv show she wasn't too thrilled with that process but she also again mentioned that like the stuff she would write for guys would always be or, or young boys i should say would always be stuff that the hollywood uh studios wanted and the girl stuff was sort of pushed aside so you can imagine that was incredibly discouraging it's discouraging to even read Um, So she really kind of held out. Um, She was waiting for the right people and the right voices to adapt her stuff. And she felt like uh, Kelly Freeman Craig was that, that voice. And, you know, from everything I read, she was, you know, pretty happy with how this turned out.
0: Yeah. I love that story. Thank you. I think both the um, sort of serendipitous nature of them both, uh, Seeking the project or seeking a project that sort of like, you know, I don't know, the uh, looking, looking widely and looking broadly asking, you know, for what you want next steps wise, but then also taking the opportunity, you know what I mean? Like, it, there was both the landscape was set for them. And, you know, Kelly Freeman Craig reached out and, and, you know, sort of made, made her case. And it's so interesting. I kind of didn't see it at first. Like when when you first told us that Edge of Seventeen had, was directed by the same person, I got it, but I didn't quite get it. But absolutely, it is such a specific and intimate story, the Eve, Edge of Seventeen, that I could see the way in which Judy would have read that in her viewing and deemed, you know, this the the appropriate artist to take it on so that's lovely I thank you for that background
1: yeah and remember that she's also uh not just directing but adapting the screenplay as well right you had mentioned when we were uh you know in, in the larger format uh interview today or the chat you had mentioned that um you recalled that in the book the the pads or whatever were were advertised a little different. Like there were like a belt wise. There
0: was like a, yeah a belt like in a little like clips to put the pad on.
1: Well, I could not. I didn't reread the book, so I, I couldn't verify <laughs> that. It did make sense with a lot of other things that I was reading. Okay. Kelly Freeman Craig did want to, even though it is a period piece, did want to make certain things more accessible to the generation today that she felt wouldn't take away from the story. So. Again, that would check it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, agree. That's a great, yeah, I had no problem with that shift. Again, because like I said, even as reading it in the 90s, it was, that stuck out to me as like, what? You know, I've never seen one of those. I've never heard of that. Whatever else, you know.
1: And there's three key things that were changed from the book. And I'm curious your thoughts on them. And then, then you know, we'll get out of here. The first one is the thing we really love, the whole uh agency of of Margaret's mother.
2: Barbara, yeah.
1: The normalizing no part and her struggle moving into the suburbs. That is very much apparently not in the book in terms of just like downplayed like the mother they sort of move to the town and I think the mother continues the art and it's like more about Margaret's story. So this is something that again, I I think it was a positive addition.
0: Absolutely. I think it's a a beautiful thing to bring forward that may have been alluded to. There may have been a a line here or there, but to, uh, again, because this is such an interesting classic story, but made contemporarily. And, and like we talked about, you know, I age wise identify with Barbara over Margaret. (laughs) So it was a nice way to, I think, also nod at the history that's taken place between The writing in now and I don't know I I like that a lot
1: this next one I I think you're really gonna like because we pretty much talk about this every other week okay so well we do this category every week uh, where we sort of you know eliminate something that we don't think might fit apparently Kelly Freeman Craig did this as well because in the original uh, source material there's a whole thing between Margaret and her teacher, right? Like uh, some of her friends uh, think they have a romance going on. Of course it's not happening, but this is, right. this is a key piece of drama and subplot in the book. And Kelly Freeman oh, Craig was wow. like, we don't need that.
0: Yeah. That's going to, people are going to get stuck on that. That's going to complicate things. People are going to write fan fiction about that. So I think that was why <laughs> that's super interesting to hear though.
1: Yeah. Like I, I, you know, was, a week or two ago editing the um, Honor Society episode where that was one of our bigger sticking points. So uh, that's why I'm kind of giggling there. The third interesting aspect that was changed is apparently the grandparent drama is a little different in the book. It's a little lighter there, There isn't the big Kathy Bates storming in and sabotaging scene? Confrontation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I would have remembered that if it had been in the book.
1: Her grandparents from, God, I think it was Ohio. Sorry if I, I forgot the state. Their grandparents from elsewhere, when they... The Midwest, vi- yeah. The Midwest, yeah. They visit, and they're actually pretty pleasant. They do ask about Christianity, but mm-hmm. it's not in like a... As dramatic as it plays out here, yeah. right? Like they're not forcing it to her. I think Margaret just more questions, you know, which, which side she's going. They're clearly, from what I read, they're clearly interested in her becoming a Christian, but it's the book doesn't make it like they're, you know. Pushing that, and it hasn't
0: like evangelizing right there on the spot.
1: That's the word I was
0: proselytizing. That's what I wanted proselytizing right there.
1: Yeah. So those are the three major changes. They make sense when I when I read them now, and uh, yeah, I think uh, still deserving of our high praise.
0: I agree. Thank you for doing that additional um, digging for us. Those things would not have been crystallized, you know, prior to us having the conversation. So thanks for seeking out those particularly that those differences because we had read the book too long ago to remember <laughs> because
2: we're old <laughs> yes yes
1: we are so because we're old and full disclosure we are recording uh, pretty late night right now so why don't why don't we let the good ap students hit the hay uh, get get some rest recharge those brains and get ready for you know whatever adventures may unfold